them. This computer exists. Hey, there you go. This is helping the empires of the future. We needed uh, patrons to help us out here. Yeah, absolutely. Even ignorantly. (laughs) So here we are. So, empires of the future. Okay. Yeah, here we are. Let's do it. We're we're on. Okay, yeah. And so, uh, first of all, no, we did not plan this, uh, but we are dressed pretty much the same. Is there a special name for these kinds of sweaters? Zip up. Sweater. A zip-up sweater. Yeah. Okay. This is a cardigan. I don't know if cardigans okay. work with a zipper. So it, it is different then, because yours yeah. is a cardigan. Mine is a zip-up sweater. Um, and if you can't see us, we're both wearing uh, reddish uh, plaid shirts yep. uh, along with uh, black sweaters. And uh, I guess that's going to be festive enough Yeah. It'll be- for, for today. Oh, yeah. eight people can see. Yeah, I don't nice know if they can see. Yeah, we can us. see them though, so that's gonna make us. Festive. And the uh, the Santa Claus dolls and my gold reef. Are those a special kind? Are they German or the? Well, I, Russia is known for the the dolls here. We uh-huh. have several in our house. Um, I have a uh, for the listeners at home. I have a twenty five piece one. Oh wow! Um, if you don't know the the, the stacking dolls are from mm-hmm. Russia, mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been to Russia three times, and so I brought these dolls home and giving them to people um and we've kept one it's like 25 pieces and you can find some that are 100 pieces oh my that's and you can kind of spiral them yeah you can find some that go from lie like yay big to as itty bitty as my fingernail wow yeah and which are easy to break and lose which mm-hmm. makes very little sense why they would make them that small but anyways you can buy uh you can buy russian stacking dolls uh, you can buy, uh, I bought one for my mom that had uh, President Bush, Reagan, and all the different like Republican presidents uh-huh. that used in Russia. You can buy one that if you're, you know, for fun, you can buy one that has like Stalin and Lenin oh and all the Soviet. Did they have all the Lord of the Rings characters in? They didn't when I went. However, they had uh, this, there is a Tennessee one on the bookshelf right there with Peyton Oh, Manning. wow. Yep. Very nice. And I, I bought a Colts one with Peyton Manning. So you can buy even sports ones. Wow. And it's kind of funny because sometimes they get the race of the player wrong. Oops. Sometimes it's white when the player's black. Or sometimes the player's black when it, he's actually white. Wow. And so, I mean, they're Russians. They're, right, they're doing they're the best they can. This, sure. But you know that enough tourists come to Moscow that they have found a, a particular item that people think is... Unique and cool that you probably couldn't buy in the states. And capitalism is happening even in yes, Russia. Yes, so we have definitely won the Cold War. Yeah, that that is proof. The proof. Peyton, Peyton Manning on a stacking Russian doll is a proof of winning the Cold Isn't War. Isn't that something? I have it right there on the, on the frame. So there you go. Uh, what have you? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you had to go down the. You had to pick a. You had to basically. What do you call this? Uh, a parade or a? So you take the children yes. to see grandparents. You know. Uh, so we we were smaller. We didn't see um, what would be their great grandparents, and you know there were some changes. We were in smaller groups because of the situation. But yeah, they got to see my boys got to see their grandparents. Uh, where did you guys go? We went to Nashville. So please don't tell the CDC that we we did travel for Thanksgiving, even though they were telling people not to. Yeah. And I think I read a, I read an article that most Americans did still travel. I think that they were expecting fifty million. That they were down like I mean twenty percent down from last year for Thanksgiving. Yeah. So people still traveled a little bit yeah. less than than usual, but we still traveled. We drove down to Nashville, spent time with my wife's family in Brentwood, um, and uh, yeah, and spent a few days in Tennessee, and then came back on Saturday, and then preached on Sunday. So, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. I did. What too. our Thanksgiving was? Yeah. Oh, you preached on Sunday. I did. There I you did. Go. Did yeah. it go well? 
They did. Fantastic. Like so. Yeah, it's good. good busy one of those crazy weeks. It makes it an interesting uh, Thanksgiving when you have to preach on Sunday, right? You right. don't really get a vacation because your, your mind's on the sermon. So right. I did spend several hours. I actually spent some time after dinner on Thursday working on my sermon in my, uh, my um, Lisa's aunt's house. Right. You know, um, and so... So yeah, I mean, your Thanksgiving is a little different than everyone else's when you're preaching on Sunday because you still have to kind of work and put something together for, yep. for Sunday. So, but yeah, um, it, good to be back and uh, look forward to talking about a few positive and negative stories coming out of COVID. I mean, right. we haven't really talked a lot about COVID lately. Uh, we, try to, we talked about it so much in the spring and we kind of talked about some other stuff. We talked about the election. Now we're back talking about some issues that have now popped up because of COVID. Right. I think we've purposefully tried to space it out a little bit. There's, uh, you know, obviously everybody's dealing with uh, COVID and, and so it certainly is a continuing story. In particular, a couple of things today, we, like you said, we have a negative and negative is uh, the government catches coronavirus and all the effects that are happening uh, on the public sector uh, right now, which if you work in the public sector, then you know more about the effects probably than we do, but we want to highlight that some. But then we have some good news uh, as well, how people are coping with it. And, what are, and, and in fact, a very helpful little kind of sidebar story from the Wall Street Journal about um, what has been rated as the top three yeah. uh, depression and kind of uh, emptiness uh, stopping Effects uh, the, the three most advised ways to deal with uh, the lockdown. Again, this is great. Very this, Again, the, uh, I, I, I know this is kind of dorky, but I'll just say when you read the newspaper, uh, typically if you're just gazing over it, you'll miss some of these articles. So this particular article about music was in the Sun the Weekend paper, mm-hmm. right? It was in the review section, which is one of my favorite of uh, the weekends. A lot of the articles we've talked about come from that particular. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the newspaper on the weekend. This article was like one of those, you, and I sent you the picture of it. Right. It was hugged up against the left-hand side. Right. It was really long, but it was like yay thick. Right. And again, you could be like totally missed this article right. if you're just kind of streaming through the through the paper. Uh, and so I was I caught it and was reading and like, oh, this is right up Jackson's oh, yeah. alley. That we definitely talk about the importance of music during COVID. Right, and I, I look forward to talking about that. It's, these are things that I, I've noticed even before uh, the pandemic, but it was pretty neat to hear that it it works for other people as well. Um, let's dig into the bad news first. Uh, this is a Wall Street Journal article by David Harrison. Uh, it had a different name on the internet than it did in yeah, print edition. Um, and so on, you have it on, on the internet, it was called State local governments slashed spending after COVID next year could be worse. Uh, So it starts out this way. The pandemic induced economic downturn hit the nation's state and local governments harder and faster than any other in almost 70 years. In May, public sector employment plummeted with fewer people working for state and local governments than at any point since 2001, according to the labor department. So, uh, as far as jobs, I and mean, we're talking about real people here, this is a number that the number of jobs, uh, people who are working for the government, public sector jobs, yep. uh, are lower than at any point since 2001. I don't know what particularly. I, I, I Probably that uh, there was an explosion 
uh, or at least a dramatic rise in 2001. Uh, the well, government programming must have uh, hokey dokey. Yes, thank you very much. That would in, yes, yeah, whole, count for the whole department was restarted. And Homeland Security, created, Homeland Security. You had the national intelligence, uh, you know, apparatus that then collected the data from all these different okay, like thank in, you. In, intelligence. I'm guessing that had to. Oh, have absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, and, and have... every department doesn't just have offices in D.C. They have regional offices around the country. Um, FBI has regional offices, local mm-hmm. offices. They mm-hmm. don't just have an office in D.C. And right. so, uh, so I'm going to guess as federal dollars are allocated for these particular new departments and bureaucracy, those monies gets distributed to the state levels and city levels to, right. you know, build, you know, facilities and, and have employees that work for these yeah. different departments and stuff. So lowest to 19 years is, uh, what we have there, uh, so I guess you saw a huge drop in 08-ish because I'm gonna guess because of the, the financial downturn. Financial downturn. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and, which is a little interesting because you had a Democratic president, Democratic administration. Usually, Democrats spend more money, um, and and so you would have thought there'd be more of an uptick after 08, but that probably is one of the reasons because of the, the because of the housing housing market and uh, what happened. But then you have a new kind of spike. It looks like in 2015. Towards the end of President Obama's tenure, right? And I mean, um, when was the when was Obamacare passed? When did that go through? Uh, wow, right. Uh, I know it was in the, within the first two years, so either okay. probably end of probably end of '09, early part of early part of because that's got to be an increase in uh, right. workforce. Because the health and public sector health workforce. and human services grew as a pretty prominent department, right? Bureaucracy, yeah. yeah as any of you that. who deal with. Uh, the the Obamacare situation, uh, you have insurance probably through your wife's job. Do. Well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Dealing every year with uh, the insurance situation is not enjoyable. You know, yeah. this dealing with the, the website. I mean, even yeah. in the last couple of weeks, uh, my wife and I have been trying to figure out. Uh, you, you're still paying. They told you to shop around. You shop around. You find somebody else. The other place is like, hey, don't worry. We're charging you still. And you're yeah. like, no, you got to stop charging me. Please stop. Uh, so, no, it's not great, but uh, insurance, what are you going to do? Yeah. So they say here, uh, Moody's Analytics estimates state and local governments faced a $70 billion to $74 billion shortfall in the 2020 fiscal year that could balloon to $268 billion in 2021 and $312 billion in 2022, absent more federal help. And here's the kicker. Right. Unlike the U.S. government. Almost all state and local governments are required to balance their budgets every year. Every year, that's right. Yeah, that's I, different. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, of course, a lot of the a lot you know, a lot of states are financed by federal money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so your taxes that go to the state, um, your state is also um, you know. Financed by your income tax that goes to the federal government, so that's kind of how this money goes up to the federal government. It gets spread out all over the mm-hmm. system, um, and and so obviously, if there's less revenue, tax revenue, uh, in both scenarios, state and local and federal, then there's going to be some shortfalls areas, and so that's going to do as this article lays out. It's going to be interesting enough. Less, uh, I think it gets into this this nitty gritty stuff. 
less um, if you're if you're used to using public transportation. Right. It's going to be less. I think in the article that had a story about a lady who who usually had to wait fifteen or so minutes for a bus, but now that she has to wait thirty minutes for right. a bus right. because of less drivers. Right. Less drivers. Uh, yeah, we're going to get to the ground level on a lot of things like that. That these these uh, cuts do affect everyday. People, yeah. uh, not just people who have lost their jobs, their services that uh, people are struggling because they are not provided, and so that's a real issue. Uh, you know, look, there's a, a part of this that anybody who's read about uh, American history knows that uh, generally conservatives have been for smaller government. Uh, a guy like Calvin Coolidge, I remember I listened a while back to a, a podcast about Calvin Coolidge, and that guy really saw himself. Uh, his job was just to keep the government small, and he pretty much, in his weekly meetings with his staff, he just basically would just go through every one of them, asking them why they spent money in certain places and if they could cut anywhere, and they'd come in sometimes and say, you're going to cut somewhere. Right. <laughs> this is the way it's going to go right. today. And then they would. You know, He was very rare among presidents yeah. that somebody looked at the job in such a way as, my role here. Is to pare this place down. Yeah, and uh, that's which. A, if you're a Parks and Rec fans, that's the Ron Swanson uh, aspect. There and there's go. a great episode of of when the they had to cut the budget. You know, that's when Chris Trigger, the Rob Lowe's character, and Ben Wyatt, uh, Adam Scott's character, are introduced to Pawnee because they're the budget cutters, right? right? Right. And Ron Swanson's excited about the slashing, and yeah. he says, "Slash, slash, slash, <laughs> slash." He's like, "What are we slashing next?" Right. right. He's excited about the slashing yeah. because he believed. In an earlier episode, when he's first introduced as a character, he believes the government should be one man in one room, and they just bring him food. <laughs> yes. And so the if you if you don't understand the the, the beauty and the genius of that show, yeah. what you have is you have the Ron Swanson character who plays the ultra libertarian conservative, and Leslie Nope character played by the government is 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 good. Government mm-hmm. is can can help people. A government is a is something that is a is helpful for people and, and therefore it should be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Yeah. It should do more and more and more. And he's like, no, it should do less, less and less. And how they can still be friends is kind of the beauty of that show. Right. That's really the heart of the show is yeah. really those two. And they're polar opposites but yet working together, right. you know, in a local government setting. But it's so interesting that show is very uh, re- relevant to this because those are the type of, even though it's a fictional world and it's a c- comedy, that's what we're talking about. Local governments like right. Evansville, who has a mayor and a city council mm-hmm. and other you know departments like parks departments and things like that, mm-hmm. and how they are going to have to lay people off, cut budgets because there's just less revenue. Less revenue not only in the local level but in the state level and also in the federal level. And that's again how money gets moved around in these governments is that federal government gives money to the state government who's also receiving income tax and other tax revenue. But the local city, which receives mostly property tax type things and maybe right. sales tax, is also receiving money from the state government who's getting money from the federal government. So right. if it's if there's shortfalls in all three different levels, then there's gonna be some major cuts. Yeah. Uh, and it's gonna hurt people not only on the job level if they work in the local governments or in the federal governments, but also some of these basic things that the government offers. Right. It does. Uh, now before we leave this uh, discussion of how state and local governments are required to balance their budgets every year. Has that been true of California, Illinois, some of these bad actors as far as budgets go? 
I don't believe so. I don't think so either. But you know, they seem to get special treatment. Uh, I don't, but I don't even think it's a nest. I don't think it's a. I don't think the federal government de- it demands that states have balanced budgets. But I think some of, especially in the southern conservative states, have when, with conservative governors and that type of thing have made it have passed like amendments to their state constitutions that require like balanced oh, really? budgets. Okay. Right, and so there are like. Limited government, conservatives in Congress and the federal government have that have argued for an amendment for balanced budget. That the federal government is has to at the end of every year have a balanced budget. Mm-hmm. But that has never been passed because there's opposition to that particular limited restriction of spending. Yeah. And isn't it something else that uh the last president to have a a balanced Budget was Bill Clinton, right? Yes, that's right. He had a surplus. Many, yes, yeah. many, many years ago now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's one of the, you know, kind of the, as they say, like, people don't want to know how sausage and laws are made, right? But laws are, you know, there is a give and take of taxes and revenue and spending, balanced spending. And I think the issue that's happening with the federal government and why the, the the, the spending is out of control is because Republicans promise tax cuts and yeah. then provide tax cuts, but then continue to spend money. Right. Well, we know this from being normal people. <laughs> you, you can't like can't receive ways, less huh? money right. and right. then also continue to spend money. Right. So, uh, so the, the weird argument in, in, in this kind of in the, in the stratosphere is like, well, we're just going to cut taxes. But then Democrats are like, we need to spend more money. Mm-hmm. And so there's just left revenue coming in, and then there's just more money spent, and then therefore you never have a balanced budget. Right. So Clinton got the formula right. Somehow. Somehow. So. Uh, well, and, and the, the one thing for uh, your typical Democratic president is uh, less of a commitment to uh, the defense budget, right. which is an enormous element of challenge. the budget. And, and so is the welfare programs as well. You know, I, I know in particular that um, though, though who knows exactly uh, what Donald Trump's real policy uh, kind of concerns or philosophies uh, are, he did raise defense spending, which had been somewhat lowered. Uh, it's not like President Obama was just against defense spending in general, but right. it, it raised again under Republican President Donald Trump. The issue that with, you know, the Republicans are, they want to spend money on defense and Democrats want to spend money on welfare programs or um, either it be Social Security, mm-hmm. uh, any other type of Medicaid, Medicare, mm-hmm. these type of, and those are huge amounts right. of, of budgeted money uh, from taxable revenue for the government the state the, the federal government it goes to these welfare programs and hence why the money gets distributed to the states to pay for Medicaid and Medi- Medi- Medicare and these other type of welfare programs from a state level all a lot of that money is coming from federal government it's not coming from because states are forced to balance their, a lot of these states are forced to balance their budgets so they're not going to they wouldn't be able to pay for these welfare programs in their state if that money is not coming from the federal government but yeah. you bring it up since you're from Illinois their issue has been states have had these outrageous pension programs yep. that they've made these all these promises years right. ago to their state employees. And this kind of as, as populism, just for, for the point of being popular amongst their constituents, and then they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so then states go bankrupt. Yep, and then... Or cities know, go bankrupt, like, like in California. A, like the 
teachers uh, teachers lobby or the right. uh, the teachers union is able to to lobby and hold up. I mean, they're very powerful. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these uh, unions are very powerful historically, and so it's very difficult to get any changes uh, when people were promised entitlements and pensions and these sorts of things and here we are later there's no money there to pay them and I know that's been a problem in my entire state uh, my entire home state of Illinois and, and I'm sure it's a problem elsewhere but uh, Illinois has a very sordid political history everyone knows of the corruption that has existed there and so that creates all kinds of issues yeah I think Illinois is known as the most dysfunctional state uh-huh. when it comes to governing uh, in the in the in California probably is like a close second I would assume uh, and New York maybe up there as well but um, um, you know bring up teachers is an, an interesting point of this as well because again t- teachers are usually paid by state local school board type of uh, initiatives and just within the, what the last two years you know there was this big um, kind of protest strike that the teachers in Indiana went up to Indianapolis and yeah. had this big, you know, kind of protest about teacher pay, right? Mm-hmm. Because there was a, a a massive education bill that was passed in the state of Indiana by Governor Holcomb, but a lot of that money was distributed to the to be used by for the schools, right. not for teacher pay, right. and that mm-hmm. was kind of the argument. Yeah. But this is not and that's where it's going to get interesting where you have these huge unions like the teachers union what are they going to do when pay gets either decreased or it remains, it remains stagnant yep. with, as we see, 10 to 15 years is being said here that community analysts said that state and local governments it could take up to 10 or 15 years. Right. So um, that's going to be an issue when it comes to, especially these government employees, like teachers, um, when they get frustrated with teacher pay, um, or when it, even when it comes to like local families who are upset because their schools are falling apart. A lot of those money is coming from the state. Or right. coming, and so, obviously, with this particular uh, uh, stra- uh, research and stuff, we're going to see some issues in the school level when it comes to teacher's pay, books, other materials and resources within the school. Uh, maybe the football coaches are going to get paid $80,000 or $100,000 a year. I don't know how much football coaches are paid because they're just that's with lack of funds it's going to affect some of these things that we have kind of had over the years or uh, are accustomed to over the years and things that are just going to be just to show money for it. Right. So. And specifically, it talks about that in here. Um, we mentioned fewer jobs just to put a number on it. Uh, they measured in October and the public sector had lost 1.2 million jobs over that year. Uh, and if you don't know, pro- public sector is government, private sector is the market. Right. Yeah. Um. But then Jobs. the issue, uh, as far as well, well, where is this money being lost? Uh, when businesses are hit, uh, the main revenue sources that I mean, people who are economists and, and anyone who actually thinks about how uh, societies operate financially and economically is that uh, the private sector yeah. has to fuel the public sector because right. the the money is made by people in in a capitalistic system. Uh, where people achieve the movement of goods and services towards people who want them, that always costs money, and right. then 
taxes are then put on to that movement. So when you have less movement of goods and services, right. you invariably have fewer taxes, specifically income taxes, mm-hmm. sales taxes, mm-hmm. and corporate taxes. Right. And that's where the issue is coming. Those are where the shortfalls are coming. We have fewer income taxes, fewer sales taxes, and fewer corporate taxes. And even at a level, if uh, corporations or businesses aren't aren't investing in capital, meaning that they are, if stock, if the stock, uh, if brokers or people who own stocks are not trading their stocks and not buying new stocks, but staying within where they are currently because of the, the market, there's not dividends as well that are being collected. Right. There's like, right. there's so, and there's maybe less property being bought or less right. cars are being bought. And, right. and, uh, and again, like when you were talking, I was like, yeah, that's what America is not Russia. Right. We don't have a state run energy business. Like mm-hmm. we're not Venezuela or Cuba who basically set up these states run uh, businesses and corporations that use the the resources of the country and sells those those things on the market international mm-hmm. market and then the government receives the money and then pays out to whomever they want to pay it out to America doesn't have that right, right. we are relying on the private sector to to sell and to buy and for the public uh, for the government to then receive the tax revenue from those 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 transactions and mm-hmm. when those transactions are down Revenue is down, right? And so there's a, a major impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes all the way down to buses, yep, and how many buses run on a particular day, yep. And so uh, COVID, I think, is you know we had the big issue in th- uh, early on with COVID, the health issues, the, you know the you know dealing with you know uh, quarantining and, and keeping people safe and keeping those who are vulnerable safe. Then you had the <laughs> economic issues early on with shutting the economy down basically and things had to stop only essential businesses were up and running but then those things opened up and so we started in that time and we have companies and bars and restaurants now opening back up again and there's more buying and selling going on sort of hiring going on but now you're starting to see maybe the impacts on the local governmental level that those decisions and COVID itself has has impacted these simple things that we didn't even think would imp- be impacted by those things, right? right. How, how can buses, uh, I think it's just the easiest one to kind of think of, how could that be affected by the decisions that were made in March and April? Right. So, you know, it, it, one thing that's very strange, especially if, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town and had never had any idea uh, of the amount of money spent by uh, the wealthy to know if the money they invest is going to come back to them. Yeah. And the biggest issue you run into in times like this is that it is very uncertain if you spend money, if it will come back to you. And in those situations, uh, any kind of company that is, uh, that is a low risk, so for instance, uh, banks employ people to yeah. just determine financial risk. And right. then if, right. there's, if there's a very little promise that you would make money, then banks just be very careful with money. And, right. and a lot of companies are built that way. I mean, right. uh, this is how, uh, this is how it works as far as the stock market goes. Yes. There are day traders who just guess or yeah. make right. educated guesses. And buying penny, penny stocks, right. you know, on these like obscure companies that are going to rise, their stocks going to rise at some point, you know, but it's all based upon this desire for gain, this right. desire that we'll put some money in to get more money back. Right. And when you have a time like this where you look around and all the dials are going down, right. uh, that's bad 
for business, and it turns out it's bad for everybody, right? Uh, because the services that the government provides are based upon tax revenue tied to how uh, how goods and services services are traded uh, on the open market, and and so you don't have confidence, yeah. And that's that's why they talk about uh, the importance of confidence. And you can remember then. I mean, I remember the first time I heard discussion of a stimulus during George W. Bush's administration, and they said we were just going to get a check, and I was kind of in disbelief. You this know, is, was this a tarp money? Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Was, I remember when that was passed. Uh, I actually, you know, I bought the Obama's memoir, and he had like you know, every memoir or whatever has like pictures, right? So yeah. you like always go to the, like the two sections in the book, and then look that has the pictures, and so you look through, and there was a picture of him sitting down with President Bush during the transition, uh-huh. you know, from him winning the election in November and then taking office in January, but then in between time when President Bush was still president, and that's when TARP came up, uh-huh. and so President Obama was in the room, right. you know, so he's sitting at the table right next to President Bush. And they're discussing with, uh, you know, leadership in both both houses, state and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in Senate and House about passing TARP, this massive stimulus money that was not only just going to people, but was going to like companies like yep. banks, yep. GM. I think GM maybe was a part of that at some point, or maybe it was later on. But uh, yeah, this ma- I think it was trillions upon trillions, like two trillion plus dollars. We had actually a stimulus at that at that level just recently, right? And they're arguing about doing another one. Right. The, the issue is, is that while the stock market is, I think, over 30,000, which it's, you know, it's, sure. it's peaking at such a high level, people are, how's, it, how's the stock market continuing to rise during all the issues of COVID? It's because it's the stimulus money. The government right. is just pumping artificial money into the system. When you pull that plug out, what do you think is going to happen? Right. You know, and so... Um, they're kind of banking on spending all the stimulus money to get the economy back running and running and running. But with the, if you pull that stimulus money back out or you don't reload on it, what, what's going to happen to a lot of these private sectors, even a lot of these public sector areas, where the, where the, where's the money going to come from and the jobs are going to be lost? And if that continues to affect businesses that provide tax revenues for the federal government, then there, there's going to be some real, real problems. Yeah. It's going to affect us who have stocks and those type of things. Right, and and that's the idea of a stimulus is that it's just like fuel for right. if you think of the economy like an engine, that uh, if there's no intake, right. uh, then the engine will not function. Right. And so a stimulus is just throwing a whole lot of gasoline. Right, it's like that startup stuff you spray into there the you go. Yeah, and, and that's the idea behind it. Um, but where we are right now in the, the concern that David Harrison uh, – is fueled by in writing this article is that he says rainy day funds have been used up that most of uh like a smart budgeter a lot of these states uh, in particular this is a particularly a study of missouri Mm -hmm. and kansas city right uh even more specifically um but these states uh had rainy day funds they know uh, any any institution who is worth its salt knows that rainy days do come and you plan for that. So they had uh, something like $12 million in the budget. Just, hey, you know, we can't expect intake forever. But in this economy, $12 million was used up very quickly. They also received $30 million in uh, stimulus support, and they went through that pretty quickly. And so the concern is is this, that, one, rainy day funds have been used up. Two, uh, we, if you have not cooked up with politics, that's totally fine. But one of the things that's been going on is that a lot of talk around the first stimulus plan was that if it went, if if the lockdown continued, there would have to be probably another stimulus. And right. 
Democrats and Republicans have not been able to come to terms uh, on what they're going to do about that. Nope. And that is particularly concerning to the states now. Um, it yeah. says in here that uh, state revenue is down 4.8% from the same period a year ago. Uh, that's by Lucy Day and a researcher at the Urban Institute. So 5% <laughs> might not sound like a lot, but when you're talking, uh, you know, I don't know what the budget of um, a state like Missouri is, but I mean, let's say $700 million or something. 5% of that is a... Chuck a change. Yeah, you can you can buy quite a few buses and certainly pay quite a few operators that's right. with 5% of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that's why, you know, states like... New York and and in California in particular, who have bigger budgets than like say in Missouri, who have like a lot more people, a lot yeah. more employees, and you could say, well, that's their problem. They have too many employees. Okay, that's a fine thing. To, that's perfectly fine to say, but they're still reliant on the federal government to provide funds for their budgets, their state budgets, and um, that's why they desperately want Congress to pass this new stimulus pack bill. Uh, for COVID, um, because a lot of states are, are dependent on that money so that they could maybe put a hole in the dam mm-hmm. um, before the dam breaks. Um, and so, uh, and hoping like the vaccine comes out and they've been able to stop the, the, the bleeding with stimulus money. So then everything is fine uh, with, the, with the vaccine uh, being kind of out, being out, and then that's going back to maybe some sense of normalcy. Um, but, um, so that's why, but, you know, Republicans want less of, they want less money given out and Democrats want more given out and they just haven't, you know, they haven't been able to find the, the middle and most likely nothing will get passed until Biden takes office. Yeah. It seems like that will be the, um, Oh, sure. And there's arguments about which, you know, which companies should get, uh, how much and, uh, there are more, there are more. Uh, strictly sorts of business interests in the Republican Party, but more uh, interests in, say, cultural production in the Democratic Party and, you know, fights in politics about who gets what money and how much right. and uh, and that, all of that wonderful there's a, stuff. I mean, obviously, there's a physical, like a, like a physically uh, uh, conservative caucus within the Republican House that says, like, no stimulus whatsoever you know, the, uh, the debt is too high and therefore we're not in the financial situation to give any more stimulus money whatsoever. Yeah. And so you have that part of the Republican Party and you have part of the Democratic Party that says it should be as high as it needs to be, right? And so you just have all these different crews arguing and barking within even their own mm-hmm. caucus or own parties saying all these different things and hence why it hasn't hasn't got hasn't done yet right it it would seem to me that uh one thing going on is if you remember back in uh february march everybody was walking around going this has never happened before right in recent memory this is this is new this is new and everybody's concerned and and in those sorts of circumstances uh when you're built a little bit emotionally back on your heels even politicians can forget about partisan politics to a degree and push something out yeah you can say a lot of things like, you know, well, if we have to go further, we maybe work with you a little more on this next time. But everybody, when everybody's a little shocked, they might uh, work together a little more. But it looks yeah. like the shock has worn I off, so. and they're not working together as right. well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there's that. Now, the third thing that they say uh, that is that is tough is that the recession mostly has hit lower paid service workers and spared higher-earning white-collar workers uh, able to work from home, uh, moderating the the decline in income tax revenues. Uh, 
and I'd say that's probably not a surprise to anybody familiar with who has lost their jobs, more likely. Most of the time it is uh, a laborer job is much more vulnerable at this time. I mean, even at, you know during a lockdown, some of these labor jobs have not been considered essential, so they just told to stay home. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a job that you can do over Zoom, which, you know, you can't hit... You can't hammer a nail through Zoom. You can't you uh, can't put up drywall through Zoom. There's a lot of things you can't do through it, and uh, those jobs have been much more vulnerable. Meanwhile, if you you know if it's if you're in the knowledge economy, if you uh, if you're uh, in healthcare professions that can be uh, done through Zoom, people have. I mean, I have a friend who works in telehealth, and this has been. This has been the best thing that could have happened to telehealth is, mm-hmm. hey, I'm sorry you, you said before you didn't have any means to get on Zoom. Like, you probably have a means now. Yeah. Uh, you could probably figure it out. And if yeah. not, then sorry. We have the ability now to tell you you're out of luck. If you right. can't get on it, we're not going to help you out. Right, right. And, um, Your appointment's online. Sorry. And so it's been a yeah. boom for yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, telehealth during this time and many other. Uh, anything knowledge-based, anything, you know, that's uh, that way. Uh, so... There were unemployment benefits uh, that went through July, and that propped up consumer spending, it says within here, and limited the drops in sales tax receipts, but that is all dropping off. Yeah, I know that I have seen that consumer spending has been uh, fairly steady mm-hmm. during all this. Uh, it was so interesting, I don't know if you caught, but obviously, like, uh, good, I mean, Black Friday. Uh, purchases were down significantly. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, I think down like fifty percent from last year. But wow. online online sales were like out out of this world. I guess I didn't even think about it. I guess it was Monday Cyber Monday. Yeah. Okay. But, but basically, what companies did, knowing that people weren't going to be you know knocking down the door on Friday night or Thursday night, whenever people go out to shop for Christmas, realizing that, and so what they ended up doing was expanding basically mm-hmm. their Black Friday sales throughout the whole week and mostly being online right. type of purchases. And so I think companies who were smart kind of saw the writing on the wall and realized that this is not going to be a normal Christmas. And so they're going to have to basically treat Black Friday as a Cyber Monday, but use it in expending the amount of time. And I think I saw some places that were starting the previous Monday, yeah. starting sales. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, yeah, that's um, that's been a thing that's happened. I, I think fewer businesses were even trying to open on Thanksgiving Day this year, which I thought was good. That yeah. was, um tacky and unnecessary when businesses started yeah. saying, hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and open up at noon on right. Thursday, yeah. uh, Thanksgiving. I think that was last year. It's, it's, that's just unnecessary. It's fascinating when those businesses push the, push the limit on those things and then something like COVID happens and then removes all of that type of shopping habits. And mm-hmm. now you're like, oh, I guess we don't have to be open on Thursday at all. Right. I guess we can give our employees a day off. Right. <laughs> right. Good. Good. Yeah, there's, there's some positives that are are gained from that. Um, I, I find this next point on your list is probably the most interesting one on this whole thing. That this whole like summer of defund the police. Who would have known mm-hmm. that it wasn't some progressive liberal governor or mayor of some major uh, city of America that pushes the defund police? It happens just naturally with tax revenue yeah um that as this says here uh police department i guess this is in kansas city right yes yes. uh canceled this year's roughly 30 person class of new recruits which will put fewer officers on the street right so it's you know um obviously we're not celebrating this as anything like oh cool we we supported the defund police movement this is a great item we're just saying it's just fascinating 
that this may end up causing a decrease in police department fundings, not because of some progressive Black Lives Matter initiative, but just simply uh, nuts and bolts money. Well, yeah, and so whatever you think about that movement, you're about to get an experiment in what happens when you defund the police. And as it says here, as of November 16th, uh, Kansas City had recorded 161 murders, uh, the highest on record. Uh, And that's as of, you know, uh, as of two weeks ago. Yeah. And so so it's sad. It's... uh, you know, yeah, we do have a, a certain set of tough circumstances, um, but it is not it, it is not helped matters uh, to have fewer police because that was the result of not bringing in uh, that class of right. new recruits. Less police officers on the streets. Yep. Usually, your new recruits, I guess, are the ones you're going to probably throw on the street. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so. I, that is an interesting development, and I think you're right. I mean, this is kind of a uh, a, a case that if, you know, obviously it wasn't an initiative, but tax issues causing um, decreases in, in budget money to the police department has now resulted in less police on the street and it now has resulted in more murders. Yep. So violence has gone up as less cops are on the streets. Um, and so hopefully there's some mayors with their eyes open and saying, okay, look okay. what happened in Kansas City. You know, and, and I mean, as far as... Um if if there's some kind of simple analysis to go, well, but the increased stress of a pandemic uh, might contribute to uh, more murders. Well, but fewer people on the streets should con- contribute to fewer right. murders, you would right. think, if there's fewer people in, uh, in all establishments of all kinds. Uh, I know there's there's been a lot of concerns, and I think rightfully so, about uh, domestic abuse during times like this. You know, yeah, that's 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 a concern, um, but it's a tough analysis to 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 look at that and to go, what are the results of fewer police? Uh, well, more murders. More murders. It seems uh, the numbers are there, but I don't see any way to analyze it to uh, to think that fewer police would be. Better. Helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing that we have on here, the state of Missouri has made its own spending cuts in June. Governor Michael Parson cut nearly $440 million in general fund spending, roughly 4%. So I guess we could do the math there. Their budget is considerably higher than I. They're in the billions. Goodness <laughs> gracious. States are just, they have high yeah, budgets. Um, $133 million has since been reinstated. Uh, the move eliminated about 300 filled positions, so 300 uh, jobs. Uh, of those, 200 came from a single agency, the Department of Social Services, and about 80 of those were in the Children's Division, which handles foster care. So we lost uh, uh, social services. And, uh, I mean, look, just like everything else, uh, somebody is higher on the totem pole and somebody is lower. And in Missouri's case, social services looks like it was lower. And so uh, they lost some workers in foster care that had worked for the state. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I've never never worked in state government, so I don't know the. I never I've never read a state budget. You know, uh, I don't. I guess that's probably a public document if you wanted to actually read it. So I'm not really sure 
where most of the money gets distributed and most where most of the employees are. But you're right, there's a totem pole for everything. Um, you can, if you go online, you can actually look at organizational structures like mm-hmm. within different yeah. federal departments. It's very fascinating where everything lies, like you know where the FBI lies, you know mm-hmm. where the uh, mm-hmm. I guess they're in the Department of Justice, but even like the EPA where they fall in with I guess that's the Department of Interior. I guess is where they end up. But so you have all these like organizational structures that are pretty fascinating, and there's always someone. There's a groups that are in the lower parts of that structure that are. Not important, you know. They're a department under a department under a department, and um, and so where the when money and where money is allocated identifies who's important and not important. Since when the Affordable Care Act was passed, that elevated Health and Human Services as a major department within the federal government. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, depending on who's the governor and who's who's the one actually passing the state budget, you know, I'm gonna guess a conservative. And I'm, I don't know if Michael Parsons a conservative Republican. I wouldn't be surprised if Republican governors put a lot of it, less emphasis in social services. Yeah. Or potentially maybe a Democrat would put more emphasis in the social service, depending on what their background is and what they yeah. think is important and things like that. So. Yeah, and, and there's certainly a note here. You know, uh, the Book of James talks about that uh, religion that God our Father finds is pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Right. And... They cut that, and well, and and according to uh, according to this, the government does not find them. Just as you know, they don't have a lobby. There's there's nobody out there that that's uh, so true. Good point. The the orphans do not have lobbyists working for them. That nobody answers to them, and that is the state of this world, this broken world that we are in. And so, uh, double down. I hope, pray as a church that we. Try to take care of uh, orphans and widows, those who don't have people to fight for them. One uh, good story even out of this, uh, one of the workers whose uh, job uh, was ended up being cut. They actually offered her uh, to keep her job if, she, job if she took on, say, something like 10 more cases uh, per week, I believe it was. But uh, she went out, found a, uh, a business uh, in the nonprofit sector that worked for foster care and uh hey in in the private sector these things are happening too and so she went and found a job and, and she said that she did not want to increase her caseload a lot of we have social workers at the church uh and a lot of social workers are very overworked they yeah. take a lot of cases trying to yeah. watch out for a lot of kids at once and you don't get hardly in time with the kid to figure out where they're at and what they want uh what what their real needs are because you're just trying to find places for these kids to go it's a hard job it's thankless so we appreciate social service workers and, very much and, and, you know we've uh, me and lisa have interacted with and done some stuff with a village which is foster care and adoption uh non-profit here in evansville um and you know this is an opportunity for like churches and other uh people who provide and give money to nonprofits to you know um obviously we don't we don't we don't voluntarily give money to the government <laughs> say hey Take my extra thousand and right. you distribute it the way you believe right. that you should. We don't right. do that. Right. And if you've reason. ever read a law, you know why we don't do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, that's a way. You know, people say, you know, uh, I don't want my, I don't want to be taxed anymore. Well, here's a great thing to do: give money to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, that money, if you're if you get into the dollars and cents thing, that's money that, that the federal government can't tax you on. Mm-hmm. So if you want, you know, you want you want if you're gonna if you have an extra thousand dollars, right, and the government's gonna take that income out of that extra thousand right that's what they do well then give that money to the nonprofit, yep. either the village or some other nonprofit. give it to the church and the church have ministries 
with adoption right. care, and that's money that the government won't tax. Yep. That's yep. the that's the whole benefit of of taxable uh, nonprofit charitable giving is they government can't tax you on that that stuff, and yep. so. If you're like, well, I'm not giving that extra thousand to the government, which makes sense. Well, then give it to a nonprofit. Give it right. to a village. If you're in Missouri and you see this, and you see all the social department cuttings, well, then give it to a nonprofit that will use that money for foster care and things like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. You ready for the good news? This, yeah, sure. So, so this article is uh, a lot more fun. Uh, I mean, uh, if you find you know government is fascinating, uh, political science I think is more interesting than politics, and so yeah. uh, thinking about all that is is interesting in its own way. But I th- I thought this article was some uh, fascinating news about the top three things that are warding off depression during these troubled times. We talked last time about teens. That's right. Now we're trying to say the, why the, the people in general. Yeah, all the people, people in general. Right. Uh, so this is called uh, a musical cure for COVID related stress and sadness by Susan Pinker. It was that. Had a side article There's in the, the Wall Street yeah, Journal right, the that you were talking about. Uh, I titled it Music Cures the Blues, and that is the simplest summary of it. Uh, but the byline is that new research shows that playing or listening to music is the most effective way to cope with the lockdown blues. Let me say that again. The most effective it's way. Effective, yeah. Isn't that something else? Yeah. Um, yeah. The Christmas music does not <laughs> lift my spirits. Let's just leave that out. Yeah, we'll have to weigh in. If you want to see how much a husband loves his family, see how much he plays Christmas music. You don't like it at all? Not really. I find wow. a lot of the songs annoying. I, I, and, and repeatedly I'll go, this song annoys me, this song annoys me, this song That's annoys me. A lot of the newer Christmas music annoys well, me. Well, sure. Like the Mariah Carey song. Oh, yeah. And there was one song called the, By the Waiters. <laughs> It's like this kind of like poppy, yeah. like punky Christian uh, Christmas song. I hate this song, and I was like reading the lyrics, and I hated it even more. <laughs> and there's so many Christmas songs that I just, and then there's the the one by the Wham. Wham has the Christmas yeah. song, and well, I just like, ah, oh, I hate this song. I'm gonna go ahead and go out on a limb and say that I, everybody's got to have a Christmas song or two that they just hate. Oh, I mean, yeah. that seems... I like jazz Christmas, classic Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh-huh. I'm all for it. Okay. Listen to that in That's July. Good. That's good. But when it comes know. to the new Christian stuff, like Christian Christmas stuff, I just get so annoyed by it. But, again, I'm still correct, though. If you want to know how much a husband loves his family, see how much he plays Christmas music. Well, sure. <laughs> now, uh, here's my formula. If To me, if anybody wants to st- stay sane about Christmas music, here's what you do. One, there's there's no Christmas decorations, there's no Christmas music, there's no nothing Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving. Okay, that's your I've, that's your first part. I failed formula. this year. If you limit it this year. to its season, its I season agree. is I agree the Friday, Black Black Friday to I'll let you go till New Year's Eve. That's if you want to keep Christmas music around in Christmas the Christmas it's season holiday season. There you go. But if you can limit it to that spot, I think, I mean, the Bible says everything has its season, and I agree. Uh, but I think I think that this thing is seeping out, and people, I know people this That's year correct. putting out Christmas trees in the beginning of November. I don't think you should do it. Shouldn't do it. We did it, and again, it shows you, he is correct in everything he just said. <laughs> I, I amen everything he said. However, again, my my love for my family, my kids, and my wife this particular year, yeah. Went beyond the balance, right? Oh, yeah. I went over the fringe there, there, Jackson, and that's why I put up decorations not not only inside but outside, 
beginning of November. That's what I'm here for, I think, Matt. I'm here to keep yeah, your emotions and your love for your family yeah. in check. That's on why I'm right here. X, Y axis. That is why God yeah. has me in your life, my friend. So <laughs> keep that. Keep it in within the, the yellow lines. Okay. So uh, this study involved 1,000 participants from the U.S., Europe, and Latin America and asked people their most effective coping mechanisms during the shelter-in-place work. So you got these people yep. stuck in their house. Yep. They listed 43 things yep. that they could be doing. Please read all the whole li- the, the list that you provided. So here are the, here are the ones they specifically... Love includes. Yes, yeah. Here are some of the ones they specifically mentioned. 43 options, including sex, drugs, drugs. exercise, <laughs> cooking, social media, video calls, and then a variety of entertainment. I love how drugs is on there. I mean, right there. And you have Latin the, America, you know, the it, home of drugs. Oh, God. You know, it's like, what helps you during this lock-in shelter? Cocaine. <laughs> I mean, golly. A little weed helps a lot. <laughs> I, I actually want to see all 43, but they, they picked a few for right. us there. All right, so tell us the winners, Matt. So number one, music. Number two, exercise, which I will say has been proven visibly. I have mm-hmm. seen more people exercising mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see where exercise is if they did this during the winter months. Obviously, exercise will probably get pushed down the limit. You can't go outside when it's, as you, don't like to go outside and exercise when it's 30 It's cold. Degrees. I hate I it. it. Yeah. I get it. Um, and entertainment, which... Again, that's very broad. I'm not really sure what they're talking about in regards to maybe Netflix and these type of things. Uh, but I thought, you know, music number one. I am not a huge... I do like music. I like to listen to music. Um, most of the time, I like to listen to music when I'm cooking or I'm in the house or mm-hmm. I'm, at, I'm at working. Like, I like to listen to jazz music when I'm working. So I really like music a lot. Um, I don't particularly like... I have not gotten into the, the whole world of vinyls because i hear what people who listen to vinyls listen to them because vinyls you you're listening to you're, the listening to it is the as the activity mm-hmm. like you're not just mm-hmm. that background noise right. it's the activity yeah which i find fascinating because that's just not me I music mean, right. is always a is right. a means to an end it's not right. the end so um i only listen to music as a contemporary mm-hmm. or a, 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 a something that is associating with something else other activity mm-hmm. I'm doing like either cutting the grass or yeah something. it's like complimentary so yeah. it's like it's all added on it's, it's added a on. bonus it's not it's not anything I do mm-hmm. in and of itself right so uh, so yeah I thought music was and I uh, would have if you listened to anything new because you're a big music guy you, yeah you, uh, you have a lot of CDs you listen to a lot of them, you do you play a lot of instruments and this is kind of your deal uh, is there something, would you agree with this list? Has music been one of your, you know, here's one thing for me about this is that a lot of the things that I do, um, have not been affected by this. So, uh, in particular, um, I mean, I like play music. Uh, mm-hmm. my main hobby is playing video games, which have not at all been diminished by, uh, COVID as anybody who's into video games can tell you, it's been a great time for video games. And in fact, that all video games have increased in price because their supply has decreased. Everybody, I mean, if you want to talk about a Nintendo Switch. Man high, supply low. That's yeah. right. Yeah. The Nintendo Switch has been much, much desired during this. This game Animal Crossing had a new uh, version come out for the Switch during this, and it sold. Uh, you couldn't find it. 
Um, but all video games, literally, I mean, PlayStation 2s and uh, everything has gone up well, because that's been a major hobby, I think, for a lot of people. Hence why Sony and Microsoft are dropping their new consoles. Oh, yeah, it's time but for the next The problem, phase. though, maybe we can talk about this for a different day, but the problem is, is that Sony and Microsoft don't have enough supply of the console yeah. to supply Yeah, you'd have demand. a hard time being able to meet demand right now. Everybody yeah. wants right. this stuff. Um, so yes, certainly um, music has been every bit uh, as meaningful and enjoyable experience um, because what they say in here uh, that while music exercise entertainment and kind of qualified a little bit, um, these were the best for the most people. So this yeah. is kind of the most reliable across the whole spectrum because they, yeah. they went after people of all ages, yeah. uh, of all any nationality they could yeah. uh Catch, which I would say a lot, given you're talking about the U.S., Europe, and Latin America. I mean, the only major section you're missing Africa and you're missing uh, Asia, mm-hmm. uh, and so th- they got a lot of different kinds of people there. Uh, but music was the only one that led to a reduction of depression symptoms. Wow! And uh, they mentioned specifically that with music, we're talking about singing, dancing, playing, listening, uh, that interacting and engaging. With music, they said for people highly sensitive to reward, this is even more so the case. So if you're the type of person that is able to, you know, treat yourself, uh, you reward yourself, you know that it makes you feel better to take in things that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. That music particularly is effective for those kinds of people. I do know people who um, more naturally, I think, punish themselves. Yeah. They kind of they're, they're high discipline people, so they don't let themselves experience uh, as many rewards. And so, look, if that's you, then Maybe music won't be quite as good for you, but you're kind of crabby in general. So uh, what can you do? (laughs) Um, And so I thought that was very fascinating that music alone uh, led to a reduction of depression symptoms. But I can tell you, one of the the absolutely most incredible experiences of life, I'm sad for anyone who hasn't experienced it, because if you learn to play an instrument, it, it literally feels... Even if you're not great, this is not at all about being good at it. I've always told people the reason I play instruments is not because I think I'm particularly great at it, but because it is so enjoyable. It is yeah, so sure. fun. It is as if. Um, you know, I, I listened to a guy on YouTube named Kent Nishimura, who has a great YouTube channel. He's a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, play Careless Whisper by George Michael. You know, and he plays it. his finger-style yeah. guitar. Phenomenal. And you can watch him and tell how good it feels to play uh, the guitar, even if not if it's not that skilled. You, it's it's almost like drinking in the music and it yeah. going through you if you're able to play it. Yeah. Because there is something amazing about having that song come through you. In particular, now it varies. Uh, just frankly, like, and this is one of the fun things about messing with instruments. For me, and I would say most people who've experienced both would agree with this. Playing a piano or a keyboard is a lot more work than playing a, a guitar. Hmm. Um, your hand just gets in a rhythm, right. especially your right hand that's doing sure. the rhythm no, part on the guitar, moving. and then you move your your hands to adjust uh, on the on the left Not hand as position. Not as fast as a piano. Right? Oh, yeah, the, the piano it never. I mean, the guitar practically plays itself right. half the time. You just right. kind of you just rolling with it, and and uh, it's it's. I mean, the, the guitar has a lot of things going on. It is a percussion instrument in addition to being um, a melodic instrument making uh, <laughs> notes, huh. uh, and so that's what's fun about it. Because you know you anybody I think who knows 
knows about enjoyment can watch a drummer and go, that guy. Yeah, he's having a good time. Most of the time, those guys are having a yeah. great time yeah. playing they're it. Banging. I mean, they're beating up stuff yeah, they're, in they're, time. They're doing what they did as a, as a child. That's right. Yeah. How, Except how for people love that. it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it's exactly. like, imagine if, imagine if rather than your little kid who's, you know, beating a spoon on the refrigerator, imagine if rather than you going, ah. Uh, <laughs> you walked over there, you're just like, man, this is awesome. You're just cheering him on. He would love it. He would yeah. beat the tar out of that yeah. refrigerator. Yeah. And that's what drummers get. I mean, if you're a skilled drummer, then people are just like, yeah, we love it. Yeah. I mean, you you now are passing on the good times to other people through that's your right. giftedness. And that's just a great example of what it what it is like to be able to play an instrument. It's, it's the kind of joy. It is, um, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. It's when I'm listening to music, I rarely, I think I used to do it more, but I rarely would just sit down and take it in. Um, but for for you, if that is you, I do encourage uh, anyone who has any desire to play an instrument, pick up anything. Pick up a ukulele. They're fairly, fairly easy to learn. I learned um, guitar on a classical guitar, a nylon string guitar, yeah. and that's a lot easier on your fingers. Anybody who tries to learn guitar, I've known people... Uh, I knew a, a girl trying to play the guitar, and she bought a guitar and didn't realize that you're going to have to cut your fingernails off. She had fake fingernails. And so she said, okay, I'm, I'm out then. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's super hard on your fingers. Like I have yeah. calluses on the yeah, ends of my fingers. Because pressing, yeah. I mean, I, uh, the way to summarize it is a guitar doesn't know it's a guitar. It just thinks that it's uh, steel strings and, you know, steel frets and wood right. frame. Right. And so you're holding steel against wood. It doesn't want to be held. Right. And it will tell you that. <laughs> right. I mean, if you sit down for the first time trying to play a guitar and you play for more than 30 minutes, I want to shake your hand because it hurts yeah. so bad. It's not like playing a hard. It's not gracefully right. No, it, it fights you. Right. It doesn't want. And and by the way, cheap guitars especially don't want to be played. Right. So I I encourage anybody who wants to get into this, get a hold of a nylon string guitar. I have one I got at a yard sale for you know right. twenty twenty five bucks, and they sound okay. You know, yeah. cheap guitars don't sound good, but um, a nylon string guitar at least you can you get it. It's all about putting the time in yeah. at first, but it is so worthwhile. It really is. Um, as far as the hobbies that I am involved in, and I'm actually, I'm a typical male. I've been involved in a bunch of different kinds of hobbies, and I like to do a bunch of different kinds of things. It is the most rewarding hobby yeah. I have had uh, by far. I've been on boats. I've done yeah. frisbees. Yeah. It is um, it is one of those things that adds value to life. It makes yeah. you appreciate. Uh, and for those of us who have a hard time just taking it in, well, you can't play a song and not take it take in. It in if right. you're playing it, you have to be taking right. it through you. Right phenomenal experience it's a blast yeah so i don't i i, I don't i have a mandolin but don't i don't know how to play it really well yeah it's a, that's a pretty hard one it's a pretty hard one yeah and uh but um me and music have had an interesting relationship in the sense that i played trombone when i was in like middle school in nice. the band right and knew how to play things right because you learn how to play things and yep. never really enjoyed it in the band setting but mm-hmm. you know did it anyways I always enjoyed sports and that kind of thing but uh um, but have tried to get into playing mandolin, but just, just, I feel like I'm learning a, a foreign language and, and struggling. Well, uh, but I do understand if I knew how to play it and knew how to play it, not even great, but just well, how much fun you could have with it, sure. especially if you're learning like bluegrass songs. And I think sure. you like the music style. Like I like bluegrass music. Yeah. Um, and love like nickel, nickel Creek and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Chris Tilly and that type of stuff who plays the mandolin better than anyone I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, that, that has to be fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, or he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. and so, so there is a sense I can understand the joy by which someone gets from sitting down 
learning a piece of music, playing it just random, or playing it with other people, probably mm-hmm. even better, yep. right? Yep. Uh, I think there's, you know, it, it's always fun to watch. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Steve Martin play the banjo. There's someone who, like, you know, really, he's a comedian, but he also plays the banjo very well. Right. Uh, from what I know, he's considered a great banjo player, mm-hmm. like a great banjo player. Uh, there is a, I saw him once playing the banjo with, um, I think it was Chris Tilly is in the video, and so was um, Paul Schaefer. I've seen name? this video. Yeah, it's yeah. really, you can tell, like, Steve Martin, like, you know, he's a con- comedian and he does comedic work and things. He loves playing the banjo. Yep. And, like, probably the same way that Kurt the Frog enjoys playing the banjo. Like, there is a there's a joy by which he, and if you know much about his background and story, he struggled with trying to please his father. Sure. He had a really dark background with his father. And you're talking about someone who has had some blues. Yep. Who probably has had some anxiety and depression issues because of his father, who has picked up the banjo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long he's been playing it, but he's and there's videos of him in the 70s playing right. banjo. Yeah, so he was been playing time. it when, when he was mm-hmm. a boy. And you're talking about someone who, when he's when he's dark and he's down, he probably goes to the banjo. Right, and mm-hmm. this is, um, I think we have spent some time even on the podcast talking about lament. It is a it is a lost fact of humanity that you have to express negative, what are conceived to be a negative emotions. Sure. You, if you keep them in, it will it will hurt you. Yeah. And uh, there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. Our instincts about this, especially as American culture, we hide neg- perceived negative emotions. Sure. And if you don't express them, they they just live inside of you and keep that darkness. Yeah. In, uh, that that there is wisdom in expressing sadness yeah. rather than just leaving it there unexpressed and acting like it's not there. Yeah. And, and especially even through music in a, in a yeah. structured way or in a thought out way. Right. Uh, this is uh, one of the geniuses of country music is it's one of the few yeah. forms that does express this. And it's the music of the tears, right? That's right. There's yeah. a lot there. There's a lot there. And it's really, I, I, it just happened to me recently, like two weeks ago on Sunday morning, we had a, a pretty, pretty, uh, let's just say it was one of those logistical days that things just weren't going well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was getting exhausted and, and just really frustrated. Um, and so the music started. Um, there's a particular song. Um, y'all may do this at your at first of them, but it's the, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the title, uh, the, but it's the, 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 uh, oh, oh man, Come Thou, Ma- is it, no, it's not Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, but it's, um, it's a part of the song where it says, uh, I trace the rainbow through the rain. I don't know if you know the mm, song. I don't know that. And then there's a part where he, the, the, the chorus kind of says, and, and we shall, shall, we shall, we shall praise or sing holy, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord. And you just kind of say it over and over again. And, and the, and the volume, and the pitch of the song kind of increases when you keep repeating that line. And, and for that particular Sunday, there is a frustration, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's an anxiety, whatever term you want to use. And I don't typically cry during worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm usually thinking about the sermon, but yeah. that particular Sunday, because of the, the raw emotions, the frustrations, mm-hmm. that type of thing, even being mad at myself because I let something particularly like that get me, yep. get me frustrated you start to cry. Mm-hmm. Like you just start to get well with emotion. And I even said when I walked up, like I thanked Robert for doing the song and said that that song is meaningful, but it was particularly meaningful for this particular day. Yeah. And I'm not going to go into all the reason why it was impactful, sure. but it was impactful. And the rest of my day was not, was not as focused on what happened sure. that morning because of music. Right. 
you know, music was something that impacted me. The lyrics, the particular structure of a song, yeah. even though I'm not a, a, an engineer, I'm an expert on music, and they, but that particular song, the way it's structured, the way it was played, the way it was sang, in the context by which it was played and sang, affected me emotionally. Yeah. You know, and so music does have, it's powerful. Yeah, and I, um, this is a point I think we should definitely say something about how there's a perception that <laughs> Christianity ought to be characterized by some sort of perpetual happiness or perpetual right. smile, and that yeah. is just not the case. Uh, Jesus was a man of sorrows. Uh, he he experienced everything that we experience. If you are a believer, it doesn't mean you walk around every day telling every, everybody everything's going your way. The right. world we're the people who know the world is broken. Right. Uh, we're the people who cry when we're sad. Uh, you know, Jesus weeps with right. those who weep and. Right. He he goes, you know, to his father saying, hey, "I want things to go differently." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is uh, uh, that is a part of uh, of where we are. I, I'm in a I meet with a group of guys, and we just got done talking about a section of the Screw Tape Letters, one of C.S. Lewis's books, where he talks. Uh, it's about the law of undulation. How our lives we have peaks and troughs, and don't lie that the troughs aren't there. Right. You don't have to act as if the troughs are are not real because they are and in fact you don't please don't adjust to the troughs and go i guess this is normal or uh, or that this is the way my life's always going to be no our lives are characterized by periods of up and then periods of down and we all go through that and it's okay we don't you don't have to walk around just saying to everybody no it's all great everything in my yeah. life is going the way i want because yeah. i got jesus and therefore every day it's just happiness and yeah. sugar plums and, and i think and i think if there's two books of the bible that are just not preached and taught well is Ecclesiastes, number one. Yeah. But also Lamentations. Yeah. Um, I, I, I taught on that book, uh, did a Bible study with some guys from USI, uh, in the kind of in the heart of all this COVID stuff when mm. it started to happen in the spring. And I, at the end of studying that book, because I was the one that studied it and taught it, and we kind of had a conversation. I had never studied that book. I never taught it. I never preached it. And I was saying to people, I don't know if there is a, a more important book to read for a Christian than that book mm-hmm. limitations because i think it, it number one it basically throws a, it basically uh puts a stake in the whole we are christians we're always happy mentality because right. right. you have jeremiah the prophet who's most likely the writer here who's saying some pretty like some pretty direct things to god about like why are you letting this happen to us right. like our thought we were your people right. why are you siding right. with them right. and not siding with us like this is some hard stuff and he, the, it, the details by which he explains about what happened in jerusalem yeah. are Dark, right? And they don't get much darker right, than that. Right. I mean, women raped, children killed, all this stuff. Yep. I mean, ch- People dragged off. Yeah, yeah, mothers feeding, being feeding themselves by killing their children. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, this is not made up language. Right. This is language that describes what happened. And Jeremiah in the middle of that says, "The Lord is faithful." Right. You right. know, uh, uh, the Lord is full of steadfast love. You know, He's His His, uh, his uh, mercy is new every morning. That's a yep. passage is in Lamentations chapter three. So. I think uh, there's uh, the, the identifying the valley and identifying the sadness and the blues. Um, and obviously for Jeremiah, it was God's word that mm-hmm. brought him back up. But for us, it's not only just God's word, but music as well. Mm-hmm. It brings us, it doesn't change the setting. It doesn't change the context, but it does impact our souls. Yep. And so uh, I am a big, and you're in music, but as I mentioned here at the end here, uh, cooking. Yes. I like, I like cooking. And uh, have done done some cooking. I actually uh, smoked a turkey for Thanksgiving. Great, it came out pretty well. Um, and then some other 
other things. I'm not much a baker. I'm not much into cookies and stuff, but I do like uh, getting kind of crazy in the in the in the kitchen and making stuff and cooking stuff and and uh, so that's something that uh, is really helpful with any even during COVID, but even just normal week to week stuff. Right. You know, it's the one time I'll take my iPad, I'll turn on, I'll watch some either West Wing or I'll watch Top Gear or some type of show mm-hmm. that I don't really have to pay attention to, know what's mm-hmm. going on. But it's something that I you know I like to have in the background or listen to music or a podcast mm-hmm. or something and then cook and just kind of be in the in the zone on that type of stuff. Yeah, it's very uh um it's very um therapeutic i guess is the right thing. yeah yeah so yeah they uh they they break down the parts of it i like the very much they talked about that you got cooking and then you got baking and then the eating, the eating of the yeah. food that's you know uh, if it. you cook that's yeah. uh that's the reward right. and they specifically talked about that they said that um for people who find it uh easier they're able to express their emotions well that's particularly important for this element and you know cooking and baking is a very sensual experience and if so if again if you're pretty tight tightened up emotionally this may not affect you as much but that's that's the the they have a caveat they kind of say look if you if you're not able to express your emotions this might not work as well for you right. but right. in particular this one uh cooking was another emotional outlet which i i had not and a lot expected. of it fascinating out of this is a lot of people this particular year because they didn't travel for Thanksgiving, had to figure out how to That's make right. stuff for Thanksgiving because right. there was an increase of people who were typically guests mm-hmm. of the Thanksgiving meal who now had to be the cooks mm-hmm. of the Thanksgiving meal. And so they had to figure out how do you cook a turkey, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make dressing? Are you going to stuff it or are you just going to make dressing on the side? Are you going to, how do you make a pumpkin pie? Like these simple things yeah. that are important to the whole Thanksgiving feast and experience. Some people have now were thrust into the position of the cooker. Yeah, you know, and so I've made Thanksgiving food because my wife has worked on different Thanksgivings, and I had to make the turkeys and stuff. I've done it several years now, and so I've gotten into the into the. I know how to make some of the food, like the sweet potatoes, the dressings, and and the turkey and that type of stuff. I still haven't gotten into the pumpkin pie area, but I can do some of the other stuff. And um, and so it is a lot of work. I mean, it takes up the whole day. Right. I mean. Right. If you don't know how long it takes mom or grandma to make things, it takes a long time, right? The turkey, especially, has to be, if you're going to do it right, you have to brine it the day before, mm-hmm. right? You have to defrost it two or three days beforehand. Yeah, right. If you're going to do it right, if you want it, you want it really moist, you got to brine it in a, in, a, in a concoction of liquids mm-hmm. in a pot for 16 plus hours. And then you have to cook the sucker, which mm-hmm. usually takes four hours. And then most people only have one oven, so how are you going to make the other stuff that need the oven? That's exactly you right. And yep. you create some scenarios on how you get those other things cooked that's what most moms and aunts grandmas are doing on thanksgiving while the dads are eating watching football or doing something else and some people have now been thrust into that position to have to figure that out and Mm -hmm. maybe they'll be a little more kind and gracious and more thankful to the person cooking next year because they've now been in the position of the thanksgiving cooker yeah so well let's close today um we've been talking about how great music is we should make a couple of recommendations uh just anybody that you like or anybody whose music you find particularly meaningful i uh i'll, I'll steal one that you have mentioned chris sure. Thiele is one yes. of my favorites uh 
former host that currently the Prairie Home Companion is canceled because of COVID. And not only is it off, but they've there's and there's no was, plan. He, he was, was the host, host yeah. right after. Um, well, it, it became live from here is what that's they called right. it. It was under Garrison Keeler, the Prairie right. Home Companion. Then he took it over and it became live from here. But that's currently uh, nowhere given the way things stand. But uh, Chris Steele's been making music as a part of Nickel Creek, and he's a, he's a mandolin player, but he's a virtuoso. I mean, he's phenomenal. Who um, was that? The instrumental one, the punk, punk. The Drunk Punk Brothers? Or punk? Oh, the Punch Brothers the is Punch another Brothers. band that he is a part of. Right. Yes, and they're great. They're great. Um, but I would recommend just going to his YouTube channel. He is he's, he did an album. I'm not a, I, I want to be more of a classical music guy than I am, but he recorded a whole album of Bach. Oh, yeah, and there's some great. amazing yeah. stuff on there. To hear him play yeah. like a Bach sonata for 20 minutes yeah. on a mandolin and not make a mistake. There's a, there's a, there's four movements of this thing and you yeah. can watch him yeah. do things you never thought a mandolin could do. In a yeah. bluegrass band, the mandolin plays a, uh, the role that a lead guitar plays in a rock band. So very precise. Uh, right. and, and to see, yeah. yes, to see him do this for 20 minutes without even a hint of a mistake, just to watch his face as you watch him, he just hearing it, and it's going straight through him, nice. through his fingers. And now, it's... have you ever listened to Bellafleck? The Fleck Tennis? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That Bellafleck's another one. If you like bluegrass, you like instrumental bluegrass. Bellafleck is yes. top of the list. Yes. I mean, I'm talking about a guy who does some instrumental, mm-hmm. does some like extreme inventive stuff yes. with invented instruments that yes. he's made and mm-hmm. designed, and with electric banjo sounds and yeah. stuff. He's great. Um, so those are some good instrumental stuff. I again, I am a I'm a big. Uh, I like jazz music a lot. Uh, I like Dave Dave Brubeck. I like uh, Miles Davis. I like all these guys, and we'll listen to that in the background. But you know, the, a, a, another group that uh, I really just I've never never been a huge fan of theirs. Not because I don't like their music. I just have never got into being a super fan of them. But I know there are people that are, and never seen them in concert. Which I think is a major part of being a super fan mm-hmm. and seeing them in concert. I love. I really do like the Avid Brothers a lot. Oh sure. And we'll play them in the background and yeah. the just enjoy. And I won't. I don't know those songs by heart. If I get murdered in the city. If I get murdered <laughs> in the city. I, uh, <laughs> if I get murdered in the city. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I just really like their music, and yeah. they are very similar with the bluegrass and like. Good old Mumford and Son. Yeah, it was great. New Mumford and Son is horrible. Yeah, Avett Brothers spelled A V E T T. Is that right? Yeah, right. So any of that stuff, I just really enjoy. And um, but if if uh, I, I get into moods with this stuff, I can get in Beatles moods where mm-hmm. I just love the Beatles and we'll listen to the Beatles. Or sometimes I'll get in Led Zeppelin moods and we'll mm-hmm. listen to some more hard rock Led Zeppelin stuff. But typically, where my heart really is is. Jazz, good jazz, good old like jazz, and even like instrument, even vocal jazz, or bluegrass. Okay, very instrumental yeah, stuff. Very cool. Yeah, high high instrumental quality stuff. Is what um, I, I want to put one more out there. If you're not familiar with Andrew Peterson, and particularly the right. album "Behold the Lamb of God," these are uh, original songs for the most part. It's uh, it's been out over twenty years now. Um, Phenomenal! They do a Christmas tour every year. It's limited this year. I've seen it a few times. Uh, but Andrew Peterson, prolific, uh, great artist, one of the best uh, Christian artists uh, living. And Behold the Lamb of God, incredible album. Yeah. Uh, he wrote uh, on it, as well as his friend Gabe Scott, has some great instrumentals on there, some incredible writing. Uh, it's mostly acoustic, if you're an acoustic 
uh, person. There's a little bit of uh, electric on there, but some some of the similar instrumentation that we've been talking yeah. about as far as uh, Dobros, uh, Jerry Douglas uh, of Allison Crash Union Station fame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It plays on some of it. There's a lot of great artists on there. So uh, if you have never listened to Behold the Lamb of God, please uh, take a listen. If you don't find a track on there that you are very impressed by, I will be yeah. extremely surprised. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, so is this, I guess that's all we have. That's it. Yeah, so this has been in Parts of the Future. Yes, and we'll see you in the future. All right, see you later.